0: May 22 that the life of man is but a dream many a man has surmised heretofore, and I too am everywhere pursued by this feeling. When I consider the narrow limits within which our active and inquiring faculties are confined, when I see how all our energies are wasted in providing for mere necessities, which again have no further end than to prolong a wretched existence, and then that all our satisfaction concerning certain subjects of investigation ends in nothing better than a passive. Of resignation whilst we amuse ourselves painting our prison walls with bright figures and brilliant landscapes when I consider all this Wilhelm I am silent I examine my own being and find there a world but a world rather of imagination and dim desires than of distinctness and living power then everything swims before my senses and I smile and dream while pursuing my way through the world All learned professors and doctors are agreed that children do not comprehend the cause of their desires, but that the grown-ups should wander about this earth like children without knowing whence they come or whither they go, influenced as little by fixed motives, but guided like them by biscuits, sugar-plums, and the rod. This is what nobody is willing to acknowledge, and yet I think it palpable.' I know what you will say in reply, for I am ready to admit that they are happiest who, like children, amuse themselves with their playthings, dress and undress their dolls, and attentively watch the cupboard where Mama has locked up the sweet things, and when at last they get a delicious morsel, eat it greedily and exclaim, More! These are certainly happy endings, but others also are objects of envy who dignify their paltry employments, and sometimes even their passions with pompous titles representing them to mankind as gigantic as gigantic achievements performed for their for their welfare and glory but the man who humbly acknowledges the vanity of all this who observes with what pleasure the thriving citizen converts his little garden into a paradise and how patiently even the poor man pursues his weary way under his burden and how all wish equally to behold the light of the sun a little longer Yes, such a man is at peace, and creates his own world within himself, and he is also happy because he is a man. And then, however limited his sphere, he still preserves in his bosom the sweet feeling of liberty, and knows that he can quit his prison whenever he likes. May 26th You know of my old ways of settling anywhere, of selecting a little little cottage in some cozy spot, and of putting up in it with every inconvenience. Here, too, I have discovered such a snug, comfortable place, which possesses peculiar charms for me. About a league from the town is a place called Walheim. The reader need not take the trouble to look for this place thus designated. We have found it necessary to change the names given in the original it is delightfully situated on the side of a hill and by proceeding along one of the footpaths which lead out of the village you can have a view of the whole valley a good old woman lives there who keeps a small inn she sells wine beer and coffee and is cheerful and pleasant notwithstanding her age The chief charm of this spot consists in two linden trees spreading their enormous branches over the little green before the church, which is entirely surrounded by peasants' cottages, barns, and homesteads. I have seldom seen a place so retired and peaceable, and there often have my table and chair brought out from the little inn and drink my coffee there and read my homer accident brought me to the spot one fine afternoon and i found it perfectly deserted everybody was in the fields except a little boy about four years of age who was sitting on the ground and held between his knees a child about six months old he pressed it into his bosom with both arms which thus formed a sort of armchair and notwithstanding the liveliness which sparkled in its black eyes it remained perfectly still the sight charmed me I sat down upon a plough opposite and sketched with great delight this little picture of brotherly tenderness. I added the neighboring hedge, the barn door, and some broken cart wheels just as they happened to lie, and I found in about an hour that I had made a very correct and interesting drawing without putting in the slightest thing of my own. This confirmed me in my resolution of adhering for the future entirely to nature." she alone is inexhaustible and capable of forming the greatest masters. Much may be alleged in favor of rules, as much may be likewise advanced in favor of the laws of society. An artist formed upon them will never produce anything absolutely bad or disgusting, as a man who observes the laws and obeys decorum can never be an absolutely intolerable neighbor nor a decided villain, but yet say what you will of rules they destroy the genuine feeling of nature and as well its true expression do not tell me that this is too hard that they only restrain the pruned superfluous branches etc my good friend i will illustrate this by an analogy these things resemble love A warm-hearted youth becomes strongly attached to a maiden. He spends every hour of the day in her company, wears out his health, and lavishes his fortune to afford continual proof that he is wholly devoted to her. Then comes a man of the world, a man of place and respectability, and addresses him thus, My good young friend, love is natural, but you must love within bounds. Divide your time, devote a portion to business, and give the hours of recreation to your mistress. Calculate your fortune, and out of the superfluity, you may make her a present, only not too often, on her birthday and such occasions pursuing this advice he may become a useful member of society and i should advise every prince to give him an appointment but it is all up with his love and with his genius if he be an artist oh my friend why is it that the torrent of genius so seldom bursts forth so seldom rose in full flowing stream overwhelming your astounded soul because on either side of the stream cold and respectable persons have taken up their abodes, and forsooth their summer houses and tulip beds would suffer from the torrent. Wherefore, they dig trenches and raise embankments betimes in order to avert the impending danger. May twenty-seven. "'I find I have fallen into raptures, declamation, and smiles, "'and have forgotten, in consequence, to tell you what became of the children. "'Absorbed in my artistic contemplations, "'which I briefly described in my letter uh, of yesterday, "'I continued sitting on the plow for two hours. "'Toward evening, a young woman, with a basket on her arm, "'came running toward the children, who had not moved all that time. "'She exclaimed from a distance, "'You are a good boy, Philip!' She gave me a greeting. I returned it, rose, and approached her. I inquired if she were the mother of those pretty children. Yes, she said, and giving the eldest a piece of bread, she took the little one in her arms and kissed it with a mother's tenderness. I left my child in Philip's care she said, whilst I went into the town with my oldest boy to buy some wheaten bread, some sugar, and an earthen pot. I saw the various articles in the basket from which the cover had fallen. I shall make some broth tonight for my little Hans, which was the name of the youngest. That wild fellow, the big one, broke my pot yesterday while he was scrambling with Philip for what remained of the contents.' I inquired for the eldest, and she had scarcely time to tell me that he was driving a couple of geese home from the meadow when he ran up and handed Philip an oyster twig. I talked a little longer with the woman and found that she was the daughter of a schoolmaster and that her husband was gone on a journey into Switzerland for some money a relation had left him they wanted to cheat him she said and would not answer his letters so he has gone there himself i hope he has met with no accident as i have heard nothing of him since his departure i left the woman with regret giving each of the children a kreutzer with an additional one for the youngest to buy some wheaten bread for his broth when she went to town next, and so we parted. I assure you, my dear friend, when my thoughts are all in tumult, the sight of such a creature as this tranquilizes my disturbed mind. She moves in a happy thoughtlessness within the confined circle of her existence. She supplies her wants from day to day, and when she sees the leaves fall, they raise no other idea in her mind that winter is approaching since that time i have gone out there frequently the children have become quite familiar to me and each gets a lump of sugar when i drink my coffee and they share my milk and bread and butter in the evening they always receive their krutzer on sundays for the good woman has orders to give it to them Where when i do not go there after evening service They are quite at home with me. Tell me everything, and I am particularly amused with observing their tempers and the simplicity of their behavior, when some of the other village children are assembled with them. It has given me a deal of trouble to satisfy the anxiety of the mother, lest, as she says, they should inconvenience the gentleman. May thirty. What I have lately said of painting is equally true with respect to poetry. It is only necessary for us to know what is really excellent and venture to give it expression, and that is saying much in few words. Today I have had a scene which, if literally related, would make the most beautiful ideal in the world. But what should I talk of poetry and scenes of ideals? Can we never take pleasure in nature without having recourse to art? if you expect anything grand or magnificent from this introduction you will be sadly mistaken it relates merely to a peasant lad who has who has excited in me the warmest interest as usual i shall tell my story badly and you as usual will think me extravagant it is walheim once more always walheim which produces these wonderful phenomena A party had assembled outside the house under the linden-trees to drink coffee. The company did not exactly please me, and under one pretext or another I lingered behind. A peasant came from an adjoining house, and set to work, arranging some part of the same plough which I had lately sketched. His presence pleased me, and I spoke to him, inquired about his circumstances, made his acquaintance, and, as is my wont with persons of that class, was soon admitted into his confidence.' he said he was in the service of a young widow who set great store by him he spoke so much of his mistress and praised her so extravagantly that i could soon see he was desperately in love with her she is no longer young he said and she was treated so badly by her former husband that she does not mean to marry again from this account, it was so evident that it, it was so evident what incomparable charms she possessed for him, and how ardently he wished she would select him to extinguish the recollection of her first husband's misconduct. But I should have to repeat his own words in order to describe the depth of the poor fellow's attachment, truth, and devotion. It would, in fact, require the gifts of a great poet to convey the expression of his features, the harmony of his voice, and the heavenly fire of his eye. No words can portray the tenderness of his every movement and of every feature. No effort of mine could do justice to the scene. His alarm, lest I should misconceive his position with regard to his mistress, or question the propriety of her conduct, touched me particularly. The charming manner with which he described her, from from which He described her form and person, which, without possessing the graces of youth, won and attached him to her, is inexpressible and must be left to the imagination. I never have in my life witnessed or fancied or conceived the possibility of such intense devotion, such ardent affections united with so much purity.' do not blame me if i say that the recollection of this innocence and truth is deeply impressed upon my very soul that this picture of fidelity and tenderness haunts me everywhere and that my own heart as though enkindled by the flame glows and burns within me i mean now to try and see her as soon as i can or perhaps on second thoughts i had better not It is better I should behold her through the eyes of her lover. To my sight, perhaps, she would not appear as she now stands before me. And why should I destroy so sweet a picture? June 16 Why do I not write to you? You lay claim to learning and ask such a question. You should have guessed that I am well. That is to say, in a word, I have made an acquaintance who has won my heart. I have, I know not. To give you a regular account of the manner in which I have become acquainted with the most difficult, with the most amiable of women would be a difficult task. I am a happy and contented mortal, but a poor historian. An angel nonsense everybody so describes his mistress, and yet I find it impossible to tell you how perfect she is, or why she is so perfect. Suffice it to say, she has captivated all my senses." So much simplicity with so much understanding, so mild and yet so resolute, a mind so placid, a life so active. But all this is ugly balderdash, which expresses not a single character nor feature. Some other time, but no, not some other time. Now, now this is, now this very instant will I tell you about it, now or never. Well, between ourselves since I commenced my letter, I have been three times to, I have been three times on the point of throwing down my pen, of ordering my horse, and riding out, and yet I vowed this morning that I would not ride to day, and yet every moment I am rushing to the window to see how high the sun is. I could not restrain myself. Go to her, I must. I have just returned, Wilhelm, and whilst I am taking supper, I will write to you. What a delight it is for my soul to see her in the midst of her dear, beautiful children, eight brothers and sisters. But if I proceed thus, you will be no wiser at the end of my letter than you were at the beginning. Attend, then, and I will compel myself to give you the details." I mentioned to you the other day that I had become acquainted with S., the district judge, and that he had invited me to go and visit him in his retirement, or rather in his little kingdom, but I neglected going, and perhaps should never have gone if Chance had not discovered to me the treasure which lay concealed in that retired spot. Some of our young people had proposed giving a ball in the country at which I consented to be present.' I offered my hand for the evening to a pretty and agreeable but rather commonplace sort of girl from the immediate neighborhood, and it was agreed that I should engage a carriage and call upon Charlotte with my partner and her aunt to convey them to the ball. My companion informed me as we drove along through the park to the hunting lodge that I should make the acquaintance of a very charming young lady. "'Take care,' added the aunt, "'that you do not lose your heart.' "'Why?' "'said I, because she is already engaged to a very worthy man,' she replied, "'who has gone to settle his affairs upon the death of his father "'and will succeed to a very considerable inheritance. "'This information possessed no interest for me. "'When we arrived at the gate, "'the sun was setting behind the tops of the mountains. "'The atmosphere was heavy, "'and the ladies expressed their fears of an approaching storm "'as masses of low black clouds were gathering in the horizon.' i relieved their anxieties by pretending to be weather-wise although i myself had some apprehensions lest our pleasure should be interrupted i alighted and a maid came to the door and requested us to wait a moment for her mistress I walked across the court to a well-built house, and, ascending the flight of steps in the front, opened the door and saw before me the most charming spectacle I had ever witnessed. Six children from eleven to two years old were running around the ball and surrounding a lady of middle height with a lovely figure dressed in a robe of simplest white trimmed with pink ribbons. She was holding a rye loaf in her hand and was cutting slices for the little ones all around in proportion to their age and appetite. She performed her task in a graceful and affectionate manner, each claimant awaiting his turn with outstretched hands and boisterously shouting his thanks. Some of them ran away at once to enjoy their evening meal, whilst others of a gentler disposition retired to the courtyard to see the strangers and to survey the carriage in which their Charlotte was to drive away pray, forgive me for giving you the trouble to come for me, and for keeping the ladies waiting, but dressing and arranging some household duties before I leave had made me forget my children's supper, and they do not like to take it from anyone but me. I uttered some indifferent compliment, but my whole soul was absorbed by her air, her voice, her manner, and I had scarcely recovered myself when she ran into her room to fetch her gloves and fan. The young one's threw inquiring glances at me from a distance whilst I approached the youngest, a most delicious little creature. He drew back, and Charlotte, entering at the very moment, said, "'Louis, shake hands with your cousin.' The little fellow obeyed willingly, and I could not resist giving him a hearty kiss, notwithstanding his rather dirty face. "'Cousin,' said I to Charlotte, as I handed her down, "'do you think I deserve the happiness of being related to you?' she replied with a ready smile, "'Oh, I have such a number of cousins that I should be sorry if you were the most undeserving of them.' and taking leave she desired her next sister, Sophie, a girl about eleven years old, to take great care of the children, and to say good-bye to papa for her when he came home from his ride. She enjoined to the little ones to obey their sister Sophie as they would herself, upon which some promised that they would, but a little fair-haired girl, about six years old, looked discontented and said, But Sophie is not you, Charlotte, and we like you best. The two eldest boys had clambered up the carriage, and, at my request, she permitted them to accompany us a little way through the forest, upon their promising to sit very still and hold fast. We were hardly seated, and the ladies had scarcely exchanged compliments, making the usual remarks upon each other's dress, and upon the company they expected to meet, when Charlotte stopped the carriage and made her brothers get down. They insisted upon kissing her hands once more, which the eldest did with all the tenderness of a youth of fifteen, but the other in a lighter, more careless manner. She desired them again to give her love to the children, and we drove off. The aunt inquired of Charlotte whether she had finished the book she had last sent her. "'No,' said Charlotte, "'I did not like it. You can have it again. And the one before was not much better. I was surprised upon asking the title, to hear it was—' We feel obliged to suppress the passage in this letter to prevent any one feeling aggrieved, although no author need pay much attention to the opinion of a mere girl or that of an unsteady young man.' I found penetration and character in everything she said. Every expression seemed to brighten her features with new charms, with new rays of genius which unfolded by degrees as she felt herself understood. When I was younger, she observed, I loved nothing so much as romances. Nothing could equal my delight when on some holiday I could settle down quietly in a corner and enter with my whole heart and soul into the joys or sorrows of some fictitious Leonora.' I do not deny that they even possess some charms for me yet, but I read so seldom that I prefer books suited exactly to my taste, and I like those authors best whose scenes describe my own situation in life, and the friends who are about me, whose stories touch me with interest from resembling my own homely existence, which, without being absolutely paradise, is, on the whole, a source of indescribable happiness." I endeavored to conceal the emotion which these words occasioned, but it was of slight avail, for when she had expressed so truly her opinion of the vicar of Wakefield, and of other works the names of which I omit. Though the names are omitted, yet the authors mentioned deserve Charlotte's approbation, and will feel it in their hearts when they read this passage. It concerns no other person. I could no longer contain myself, but gave full utterance to what I thought of it, and it was not until Charlotte had addressed herself to the two other ladies that I remembered their presence and observed them sitting mute with astonishment. The aunt looked at me several times with an air of raillery which, however, I did not mind at all. We talked of the pleasures of dancing. If it is a fault to love it, said Charlotte, I am ready to confess it. I prize it above all other amusements. If anything disturbs me, I go to the piano, play an air to which I have danced, and all goes right again, directly." You, who know me, can fancy how steadfastly I gazed upon her rich dark eyes during these remarks, how my very soul gloated over her warm lips and flesh, glowing cheeks, how I became quite lost in the delightful meaning of her words, so much so that I scarcely heard the actual expressions. In short, I alighted from the carriage like a person in a dream, and was so lost to the dim world. "'around me that I scarcely heard the music "'which resounded from the illuminated ballroom. "'The two messes, Adrian and Certain N N I "'I cannot trouble myself with the names, "'who were the aunts and Charlotte's partners, "'received us at the carriage door "'and took possession of their ladies "'whilst I followed mine. "'We commenced with a minuet. "'I led out one lady after another, "'and precisely those who were the most disagreeable "'could not bring themselves to leave off. "'Charlotte and her partner began an English country dance, and you must imagine my delight when it was their turn to dance the fu- dance, the figure with us. You should see Charlotte dance. She dances with her whole heart and soul. Her figure is all harmony, elegance, and grace, as if she were conscious of nothing else, and had no other thought or feeling, and doubtless for the moment every other sensation is extinct.' She was engaged for the second country dance but promised me the third and assured me with the most agreeable freedom that she was fond of waltzing it is the custom here she said for the previous partners to waltz together but my partner is an indifferent waltzer and will feel delighted if i save him the trouble your partner is not allowed to waltz and indeed is equally incapable but i observed during the country dance that you waltz well so if you will waltz with me "'I beg you would propose it to my partner, and I will propose it to yours.' "'We agreed, and it was arranged that our partners should mutually entertain each other. "'We set off, and at first delighted ourselves with the the usual graceful motions of the arms. "'With what grace, with what ease she moved!' When the waltz commenced and the dancers whirled around each other in the giddy maze, there was some confusion owing to the incapacity of some of the dancers. We judiciously remained still, allowing the others to weary themselves, and when the awkward dancers had withdrawn, we joined in and kept it up famously together with one other couple, Adrian and his partner. Never did I dance more lightly. I felt myself more than mortal, holding this loveliest of creatures in my arms, flying with her as rapidly as the wind till I lost sight of every other object. And, oh, Wilhelm, I vowed at that moment that a maiden whom I loved or for whom I felt the slightest attachment never, never should waltz with any of these but with me. If I went to perdition for it, you will understand this." We took a few turns in the room to recover our breath. Charlotte sat down and felt refreshed by partaking of some oranges which I had secured, the only ones which had been left, but at every slice which, from politeness, she offered to her neighbors, I felt as though a dagger went through my heart. We were the second couple in the third country dance, as we were going down, and heaven knows with what ecstasy I gazed at her arms and eyes, beaming with the sweetest feeling of pure and genuine enjoyment. We passed a lady whom I had noticed for her charming expression of of countenance, although she was no longer young. She looked at Charlotte with a smile, then, holding up her finger in a threatening attitude, repeated twice in a very significant tone of voice the name of Albert. "'Who is Albert?' said I to Charlotte, if it is not impertinent to ask." She was about to answer when we were obliged to separate in order to execute a figure in the dance, and as we crossed over again in front of each other, I perceived she looked somewhat pensive. "'Why need I conceal it from you?' she said, as she gave me her hand for the promenade. "'Albert is a worthy man to whom I am engaged.' "'Now,' There was nothing new to me in this, for the girls had told me of it on the way, but it was so far new that I had not thought of it in connection with her whom, in so short a time, I had learned to pry so highly. Enough, I had become confused, got out in the figure, and occasioned general confusion so that it required all Charlotte's presence of mind to set me right by pulling and pushing me into my proper place.' The dance was not yet finished, when the lighting, which had for some time been seen in the horizon, and which I had asserted to proceed entirely from heat, grew more violent, and the thunder was heard above the music. When any distress or terror surprises us in the midst of our amusements, it naturally makes a deeper impression than at other times either because the contrast makes us more keenly susceptible or rather perhaps because our senses are then more open to impressions and the shock is consequently stronger to this cause i must ascribe the fright and shrieks of the ladies one sagaciously sat down in a corner with her back to the window and held her fingers to her ears A second knelt down before her and hid her face in her lap. A third threw herself between them and embraced her sister with a thousand tears. Some insisted on going home. Others, unconscious of their actions, wanted sufficient presence of mind to repress the impertinence of their young partners, who sought to direct themselves those sighs which the lips of our agitated beauties intended for heaven some of the gentlemen had gone downstairs to smoke a quiet cigar and the rest of the company gladly embraced a happy suggestion of the hostess to retire into another room which was provided with shutters and curtains we had hardly got there when charlotte placed the chairs in a circle and when the company had sat down in compliance with her request she forthwith proposed a round game I noticed some of the company prepare their mouths and draw themselves up at the prospect of some agreeable forfeit. Let us play at counting, said Charlotte. Now pay attention. I shall go round the circle from right to left, and each person is to count one after the other the number that comes to him, and must count fast. Whoever stops or mistakes is to have a box on the ear, and so on till we have continued until we have counted a thousand. It was delightful to see the fun she went round the circle with up with upraised arm, one said the first two, the second, three the third, and so on, till Charlotte went faster and faster. One made a mistake, and instantly a box on the ears, and amid the laughter that ensued came another box, and so on and faster and faster. I myself came in for two. I fancied they were harder than the rest and felt quite delighted. A general laughter and confusion put an end to the game long before we had counted as far as a thousand. Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. I hope you're having a great new year so far. I wish you the best this year and every year. Today I have for you a new classic title from the German canon, and this one is called Die Lieden des Jungen Werte, The Sorrows of Young Werther, by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. This work was first published in 1774. It is loosely autobiographical, pardon me, and it is said to be Goethe's most famous work during his lifetime. It brought him instant international fame. This story is a classically tragic tale of unrequited love. Young Werther falls in love with Lotte despite her engagement to Albert. So now, without further delay, I give you Die Lieden des Jungen Werther, The Sorrows of Young Werther, by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Book 1, May 4. How happy I am that I am gone! My dear friend, what a thing is the heart of man! "'to leave you from whom I have been inseparable, "'whom I love so dearly, and yet to feel happy. "'I know you will forgive me. "'Have not other attachments been specially appointed by fate "'to torment a head like mine? "'Poor Leonora, and yet I was not to blame. "'Was it my fault that whilst the particular charms "'of her sister afforded me an agreeable entertainment, "'a passion for me was engendered in her feeble heart? "'And yet I am wholly blameless?' did i not encourage her emotions did i not feel charmed at those truly genuine expressions of nature which though but little mirthful in reality so often amused us did i not but oh what is man that he dare so to accuse himself my dear friend i promise you i will improve i will no longer as has been my habit continue to ruminate on every petty vexation which fortune may dispense i will enjoy the present and the past shall be for me the past no doubt you are right my friend of friends there would be far less suffering amongst mankind if men, and God knows why they are so fashioned, did not employ their imaginations so assiduously in recalling the memory of past sorrow, instead of bearing their present lot with equanimity. Be kind enough to inform my mother that I shall attend to her business to the best of my ability, and shall give her the earliest information about it. "'I have seen my aunt and find that she is very far from being the disagreeable person "'our friends allege her to be. "'She is a lively, cheerful woman with the best of hearts. "'I explained to her my mother's wrongs with regard to that part of her portion "'which has been withheld from her. "'She told me the motives and reasons of her own conduct "'and the terms on which she is willing to give up the whole "'and to do more than we have asked.' In short, I cannot write further upon this subject at present, only assure my mother that all will go on well. And I have again observed, my dear friend, in this trifling affair, that misunderstandings and neglect occasion more mischief in the world than even malice and wickedness. At all events, the two latter are of less frequent occurrence. In other respects, I am very well off here." Solitude in this terrestrial paradise is a genial balm to my mind, and the young spring cheers with its bounteous promises my oftentimes misgiving heart. Every tree, every bush is full of flowers, and one might and one and one might wish himself transformed into a butterfly to float about in this ocean of perfume and find his whole existence in it. The town itself is disagreeable, but then all around you find an inexpressible beauty of nature this induced the late count m to lay out a garden of one of the sloping hills which here intersect each other with the most charming variety and from the most lovely valleys the garden is simple and it is easy to perceive even upon your first entrance that the plan was not designed by a scientific gardener but by a man who wished to give himself up here to the enjoyment of his own sensitive heart many a tear have i already shed to the memory of its departed master in a summer-house which is now reduced to ruins but was his favorite resort and now is mine i shall soon be master of the place the gardener has become attached to me within the last few days and he will lose nothing thereby may ten A wonderful serenity has taken possession of my entire soul, like these sweet mornings of spring which I enjoy with my whole heart. I am alone, and feel the charm of existence in the spot, which was created for the bliss of souls like mine. I am so happy, my dear friend, so absorbed in the exquisite sense of mere tranquil existence that I neglect my talents. I should be incapable of drawing a single stroke at the present moment, and yet I feel that I was never at and yet I feel I was never a greater artist than now. When, while the lovely valley teems with vapor around me, and the meridian sun strikes the upper surface of the impenetrable foliage of my trees, and but a few stray gleams steal into the inner sanctuary, I throw myself down among the tall grass by the trickling stream, and, as I lie, close to the earth a thousand unknown plants are noticed by me. When I hear the buzz of the little world among the stalks, and grow familiar with the countless indescribable forms of the insects and flies, then I feel the presence of the Almighty, who formed us in His own image, and the breath of that universal love which bears and sustains us, and it floats around us in an eternity of bliss.' And then, my friend, when darkness overspreads my eyes and heaven and earth seem to dwell in my soul and absorb its power like the form of a beloved mistress, then I often think with longing, oh, would would I, I could describe these conceptions, could impress upon paper all that is living so full and warm within me that it might be the mirror of my soul as my soul is the mirror of the infinite God.' Oh, my friend, but it is too much for my strength. I sink under the weight of the splendor of these visions. May 12. I know not whether some deceitful spirits haunt this spot, or whether it be the warm celestial fancy in my own heart, which makes everything around me seem like a paradise. In front of the house is a fountain, a fountain to which I am bound by a charm like Melusina and her sisters. Descending a gentle slope, you come to an arch where, some twenty steps lower down, water of the clearest crystal gushes from the marble rock. The narrow wall which encloses it above, the tall trees which encircle the spot, and the coolness of the place itself, everything imparts a pleasant but sublime impression. Not a day passes on which I do not spend an hour there the young maidens come from the town to fetch water innocent and necessary employment and formerly the occupation of the the daughters of the kings as i take my rest there the idea of the old patriarchal life is awakened around me i see them our old ancestors how they formed their friendships and contracted alliances at the fountain side and i feel how fountains and streams were guarded by beneficent spirits he who is a stranger to these sensations has never really enjoyed cool repose at the side of a fountain after the fatigue of a weary summer day may 13 you ask if you shall send me books my dear friend i beseech you for the love of god relieve me from such a yoke i need no more to be guided agitated heated my heart ferments sufficiently of itself i want strains to lull me and i find them to perfection in my homer often do I strive to allay the burning fever of my blood, and you have never witnessed anything so unsteady, so uncertain as my heart. But need I confess this to you, my dear friend, who have so often endured the anguish of witnessing my sudden transitions from sorrow to immoderate joy, and from sweet melancholy to violent passions? I treat my, my poor heart like a sick child, and gratify it every fancy." do not mention this again there are people who would censure me for it may 15 the common people of the place knew know me already and loved me particularly the children when at first i associated with them and inquired in a friendly tone about their various trifles some fancied that i wished to ridicule them and turned from me in exceeding ill humor I did not allow that circumstance to grieve me. I only felt most keenly that I have often before observed. Persons who can claim a certain rank keep themselves coldly aloof from the common people, as though they fear to lose their importance by the contact. Whilst wanton idlers and such are... and and such as are prone to bad joking affect to descend to their level only to make the poor people feel, feel their impertinence all the more keenly I know very well that we are not all equal, nor can so be, but it is my opinion that he who avoids the common people in order not to lose their respect is as much to blame as a coward who hides himself from his enemy because he fears defeat. The other day I went to the fountain and found a young servant girl who had set her picture on the lowest step and looked around to see if one of her companions was approaching to place it on her head. I ran down and looked at her. "'Shall I help you, pretty lass?' said I. "'She blushed deeply. "'Oh, sir!' she exclaimed. "'No ceremony,' I replied. "'She adjusted her headgear, and I helped her. "'She thanked me and ascended the steps. "'May 17. "'I have made all sorts of acquaintances, "'but have as yet found no society.' I know not what attraction I possess for the people, so many of them like me and attach themselves to me, and then I feel sorry when the road we pursue together goes only a short distance if you inquire what the people are like here i must answer the same as everywhere the human race is but a monotonous affair most of them labor the greater part of their time for mere subsistence and the scanty portion of freedom which remains to them so troubles them that they use every exertion to get rid of it oh the destiny of man but they are a right good sort of people. If I occasionally forget myself and take part in the innocent pleasures which are not yet forbidden to the peasantry, and enjoy myself, for instance, with genuine freedom and sincerity, round a well-covered table, or arrange an excursion or a dance opportunity, and so forth, all this produces a good effect upon my disposition. Only I must forget that there lie dormant within me so many other qualities which moulder uselessly, and which I am obliged to keep carefully concealed. Ah, this thought affects my spirits fearfully, and yet to be misunderstood is the fate of the like of us. Alas, that the friend of my youth is gone, alas, that I ever knew her. I might say to myself, you are a dreamer to seek what is not to be found here below, but she has been mine, I have possessed that heart, that noble soul in whose presence I seemed to be more than I really was, because I was all that I could be, good heavens, did then a single power of my soul remain unexercised, in her presence could I not display to its full extent that mysterious feeling with which my heart embraces nature? was not our intercourse a perpetual web of the finest emotions of the keenest wit the varieties of which even in their very eccentricity bore a stamp of genius alas the few years by which she was my senior brought her to the grave before me never can i forget her firm mind or her heavenly patience a few days ago, I met a certain young V, a frank, open fellow with a most pleasing countenance. He had just left the university, does not deem himself otherwise, but believes he knows more than other people. He has worked hard, as I can perceive from many circumstances, and, in short, possesses a large stock of information. When he heard that I am drawing a good deal, and that I know Greek, two wonderful things for this part of the country, he came to see me, and displayed his whole store of learning, from the... Bateau to Wood, from De Piles to Winkleman, he assured me he had read through the first part of Solzer's theory, and also possessed a manuscript of Haynes' work on the study of the antique. I allowed it all to pass.' I have become acquainted also with a very worthy person, the district judge, a frank and open-hearted man. I am told it is a most delightful thing to see him in the midst of his children, of whom he has nine. His eldest daughter especially is highly spoken of. He has invited me to go and see him, and I intend to do so on the first opportunity. He lives at one of the royal hunting lodges, which can be reached from here in an hour and a half by walking, and which he obtained leave to inhabit after the loss of his wife, as it is so painful to him to reside in town and at the court. There also have come in my way a few other originals of a questionable sort who are in all respects undesirable and most intolerable in their demonstration of friendship. Goodbye. This letter will please you. It is quite historical. And that does it for this segment of Gotez's the Sorrows of Young Verther. Thank you so much for listening. Please stay tuned for more readings of this great work. Until next time. Okay, everybody, that'll do it for the first two segments of Die Lieden des Jungen Werther, The Sorrows of Young Werther by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. I would like to remind you to please rate this podcast, whether you find it a 1, 5, or anywhere in between please do leave a rating so that other people will know whether or not this is something that they might be interested in or not. And also, please remember that you can always write to me at CarlaReadsTheClassics at gmail.com. And you may also interact with the Q&A section of the episode under the episode description. So thank you so much for listening. Until next time.